0: Hello, my name is Gina neighbor I'm the Director of Routing and Switching Portfolio Marketing at Sienna. When traffic flow changes over the network, the architecture must change.
1: I'm Katherine Speglia, and this is Well Technically, the tech podcast where women do the explaining. Gina, I'm so happy to have you here.
0: It's really my pleasure to to be here today.
1: I'm I'm really excited to speak with you. So am I, and actually we're going to be talking, I'm going to be a little vague here, but we're going to be talking kind of about how to make things simpler for operators moving forward. And we'll get more into the specifics of, of what I mean by that. But before we go there, what is an example of a time in which being a woman has empowered you?
0: Oh my goodness. You know, I, um, I thought about this a lot, and um, you know, I wouldn't say that being a woman has ever personally given given me power. You know, I don't think my power or my empowerment in general, you know, comes from my gender. So, um, you know, I, I've spent my adult, my entire adult life in um, male dominated career fields. Um, so during college, I was in the Army RTC I trained to be a firefighter in my hometown, um, you know, both really super challenging environments for women. Uh, I served as a firefighter for five years. And at the time I was the only firefighter on the department, uh, that was female. Um, I was second, uh, to another woman that I grew up in the same neighborhood with her name was Deborah Bell. So she kind of inspired me to, uh, to step up and and be a firefighter as well. And I didn't step down from firefighting until I joined the United States Air Force, which, again, um, that's where I started my career in tech, studying electronic systems and serving as a tech controller and very, very few females in this career field. So I have many experiences early in career, which prepared me to be a leader because I was often in difficult situations given the time uh, I was in those places and, um, you know. I could go, I could tell tens or 20 stories about the difficulties of being uh, a woman at that time in the workplace in a male dominated uh, career field, but I don't think we're here for that today. Um, What I really would say, if you asked me the question differently, I'd probably have a different answer.
1: Yeah, it's a different question than I think usually gets asked in these sorts of conversations. Um, And and it doesn't seem to matter how many times I've asked it or to how many women I've asked it to, the answers always vary um, a little bit, which is is good. I mean, that's what I want. We all hold our gender in a different place within our identity and that's okay. And I think part of being pro-woman and being a feminist is being open to all the ways in which that, that matters to women differently. For some women, they say, a lot is defined by their gender, and that's okay. And some women say, no, that's not where I find my empowerment, and that's that's also okay.
0: Right. So would you like to know where, where I find my power from? Yes, sure. <laughs> so so if you asked me, and you said Gina, where do you get your power from? I, I would say four things. And and I teach uh this uh to anyone that crosses my path that's willing to listen to me. <laughs> and uh definitely something i share with the people on my team at at sienna i think to power up um we have to be honest with ourselves and i teach that um uh, development is an inside job and it requires like the super level of self awareness and willingness to take an honest look at ourselves because i don't know if you've heard the statistic before but 90% of all leadership failures are character failures and um to 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 be a great leader uh, and to raise great leaders, we have to be honest about that, uh, about our, what, who we are and what we stand for. And I have to overcome character flaws on, on a weekly, yearly, monthly basis because we're under extreme amounts of pressure, right? And it's not always easy to do this. So number one, we have to be honest, right? Number two, I always say we have to be open-minded um, every single day of the week because every time I'm closed-minded, I take my power away, right? Right. Um, I have to, uh, be willing to change my mind because I'm not always right. And I think powering up is all about that. Um, it's the ability to change my mind. You know, there's a, this thing, George Bernard, Bernard Shaw always said, um, he said that those who can't change their mind, can't change anything. And I, and, and so I just, uh, every day I'm like, are we being open-minded? Are we being closed-minded? And then the third thing, um, willingness to own results. I, um, I'm really serious about setting a a vision with my team, a strategy, a plan, and then executing on that and then measuring our results. Uh, This is what leaders do, serious leaders do. And um, people are following me and I take that seriously. And and in order to do that, I have to be accountable. And so um, I I don't really stand for ifs. If this were different, if that were different, then we could do this or that. All those things are rubbish in my mind. And then, um, so, so we have to be willing to own it. And then the fourth thing is, um, to power up. And, and this doesn't, none of this has to do with gender, right? Um, if I want to power up, I have to take action. And, um, I love Eleanor Roosevelt. Like <laughs> she always said, uh, the future belongs to those who, um, believe in the beauty of their dreams and take action. She should have said that <laughs> right <laughs> into their purpose. So, Powering up for me uh, and being empowered is solely, you know, what I do, what I think about, um, how I take action, my thoughts, my feelings, my actions are my results. And if I'm not happy with that, then there's something wrong with my thinking. So that's kind of where I'm at on that and uh, how I lead uh, and what I teach.
1: Yeah. And like you said, um, that's just good advice for anybody regardless of gender, or where you come from. And I think, you know, that's valuable. Partly why I only ask one question about gender on a podcast that highlights gender is because at the end of the day, women have important advice for everybody and they haven't, they have important things to share with everybody and everybody should be interested in listening to women, share their advice, share their knowledge, whatever Um, this podcast uh, features women, highlights women. It's not It's not about women and it's not just for women. Um, So I appreciate you sharing that. And actually it was making me wonder as someone who feels this way about empowerment and about her own identity and someone who's also been in the air force, been in tech, been a firefighter. So a bunch of fields where you were possibly the only woman or one of a few does, do you often get asked what it's like to be a woman in these environments? And does that question get annoying? because you feel like they're not focusing on the right things.
0: You know, I think earlier in career, it was a bigger deal because there was, uh, there weren't as many um, boundaries put into place. I mean, uh, harassment uh, things, you know, I mean, I'll give it, I'll give just one example of what it was like in, in 1990, whatever, <laughs> when I was uh, in the army ROTC, we went to the field the first time and, I was new to the to the uh, to the platoon and we went to bed and everybody had a shelter half and um, it wasn't they didn't really want me there. Right. They didn't believe that a female belonged in the field uh, at the time. And my father had warned me about this. He he said that the army was no place for a woman, especially in the field. And um, I went anyway and I woke up the next morning and everybody was gone and there was like a foot of snow on the ground. So, I mean, basically a direct message um, that, you know, you're not welcome in this in this uh, this this field of work. And ultimately, I didn't go into the Army. I went into the Air Force, which is the most professional force. Um, And at at that time, uh, I was gender. There was no gender. Everybody was equal. That's the first thing I learned. Um, Equality, service above self, integrity, excellence in all we do, no matter who you are. Those were the rules. And so I fit in very well in the Air Force. And, uh, but I'm glad I had that experience because, um, you know, again, it's not about how people treat me. It's about how I feel about myself and what actions I'm taking and what I think and feel about myself and the results that I'm getting. So, you know, I um, I think there's opportunities to be treated poorly in a lot of places, even still today. But it's what my response to that and how I feel and think about myself, that's what really matters. So, you know, um, I don't know if that really answered your question, but uh, that's kind of how I how I even move through it today, because we, we don't we're not at full equality or full pay, equal pay for equal work. We're not. And uh, and so we have to focus on the work, uh, focus on the team, and we have to focus on serving others. And if we can do that, then nothing else really matters. Right. Nothing yeah. else
1: matters. Great. Okay. I said we were going to talk about how Sienna is helping make things simpler for operators and why that matters. But let's first talk about some of the background on this and why this needs to happen in the first place. So, there are several trends that are pushing network operators to build and scale networks closer to their customers. What are some of those trends, and what's the overall Impact on an operator's operations. Like, what are some of the challenges, or has to change? Maybe even some of the benefits that go into all of that.
0: You know, I've been I've been in this career field for twenty plus years, and so I actually built the networks that are trying to change today. Right, I was a systems engineer in the field, and uh, you know, positioning product and portfolio with offer service providers, right. To build this triple play network where they owned all the applications and the service provider network, you know, voice, video, data, you get your triple play bundle. Well, I don't know about you, but um, there's not a single application in my home that is serviced by the service provider today. I have Netflix, over the top TV. I have, um, you know, I access all my enterprise applications in the cloud. I mean, basically, my applications and services are virtualized and they sit on compute. Uh, in the cloud. And I, you know, that's a huge change. And uh, eventually, you know, there's three things happening in the market at the same time. Um, uh, applications have moved, so that has moved traffic flows. Um, computers just distributed and applications are virtualized, right, at the edge. Networking technologies have gotten better. Um, they've gotten uh, really uh, hardware- transport simplification. I mean, if we're keeping it at high level software control and automation, software is amazing these days, right? So hardware and how we control the network and how we intelligently automate the network, there's there's advances in technology and networking. And then third, there's these trends in whether it be 5G, you know, trends in mobile, there's trends in business, um, the virtualization of services that are moving to the cloud. So stuff like SD-WAN and SASE, how, how you actually access uh, that information. And then there's also trends in um, residential. You know, we all ran home because of COVID and um, everybody that was in the enterprise uh, at work and now everybody's at home and not, a lot of people don't want to go back. So when traffic flow changes over the network, the architecture must change. And in order to do that, hey, while we're doing this, we might as well simplify and improve our operational environment. So, you know, it's kind of complex what's going on, but at the end of the day, how do we get to the cloud fast to get to our applications from home? And, um, and I think that's, that's why we have this uh, application moved. And so that's why we have this uh, trend uh, of uh, the edge trend right now, if you will. So.
1: Yeah. And, and you've argued that in order to be able to keep up with this edge edge trend and to continue scaling at the edge, operators need to make use of coherent aggregation. So can you tell me a little bit more about your opinion on that?
0: As I just mentioned, there's growth in 5G. There's there's adoption of uh, higher speed broadband at home because of like COVID, right? Um, I need fiber to the home so bad right now. And I have uh, a cable MSO provider And earlier, when we started this conversation, I have shaky internet, and I have the business class service at my home, and it's still—I still need fiber. If they came to my house tomorrow and dropped a fiber line outside, I would jump on it, and I would pay—I would pay two hundred dollars. I don't even know, maybe an hour. I don't know, but it's so—it's so crazy right now. Bandwidth uh, is exploding. So, whether it's residential broadband, cloud, or five G, these continue to catalyze the growth of network edge bandwidth needs. And if you increase uh, the need at the edge, that means it has to, you know, it's like a ripple effect into the pre aggregation, into the aggregation, into the metro. And what we're seeing is the industry before, um, in the past, was okay with one gig and 10 gig. But now the need has moved to 100 gig everywhere for edge applications. And we're gonna see this 100 gig everywhere for edge. Um, it, it will be the deployment priority uh, for, for providers. Um, from now until well into 2023. And this 100 gig transition at the edge, that will in turn catalyze the bandwidth aggregation that's needed in the network in, in the metro core. And that means coherent aggregation. And coherent aggregation is actually bringing a coherent plug into a, a router. So it's the convergence of IP and optical coming together because the technology has advanced to such a level that this is possible. And um, that's, you know, hey, networking trend meets application trend meets end end user demand. Like I talked about these three things changing at once. Voila, now we need coherent aggregation routing. So I hope that kind of at a high level explains it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it certainly does. And um, it's starting to actually shed some light on what my next question is, which is a little bit lazy because it's basically just, I put a lot of words together and then asked you to explain them to me, but uh, I think you kind of started to get into a little a little bit of it there. Um, okay, so what is 3D multi-layer visualization across multi-vendor IP and optical infrastructure? And then I guess to make it a bit more of a question, how how does this benefit operators? So,
0: obviously, operators have a present mode of operation, right? And traditionally, as I mentioned before, they built separate networks. Um, and, and they had these architectures that were like Hobbins spoke, and they were siloed technologies and different, different networks for different uh, service delivery. And it was limited or no automation, either in between these services, between their IP network, between their optical network. Uh, and what we're finding now, as we move into this new uh, era of networking, where the application is distributed and, and and virtualized, we're finding that those traditional service delivery networks are way too rigid, right, For um, for distributed services and applications. And that's really what this entire conversation is about. The application moved, the traffic moved. Now we have a chance to uh, to archi- do, do an architecture evolution inside the provider. I mean, we, really, they don't have uh, much choice here, right? You have to change if, if, the, if your environment changes. And so now, um, from an uh, intelligent control and automation perspective, things like 3D multi-layer visualization across a multi-vendor IP network or an IP optical converge network, um, I think we have to understand that most IP networks are multi-vendor. Um, there's just not like a, a Sienna network. You know, there's uh, multiple vendors in IP networks today. And in the optical infrastructure, as it comes into, um, into as it converges with, uh, with IP, how are we going to manage that? I mean, there's two different control planes today. And as those control planes come together and the functions come together, um operators want to do a digital transformation um they actually you know traditional service providers actually want to digitally transform to become more like cloud service providers where everything's automated service turn up and and um uh you know uh you know uh, reliability operational simplification they spin up a service it doesn't work they spin it down really quick they try something new this this ability to move rapidly um that is what adopting uh, these new types of software technology uh, that allows you to do uh, multi-layer visualization across multi vendor networks, um, where these IP and optical converged infrastructures then become um, not not separate entities, but entities that could be controlled. Um, And and, and really that's what it's all about for operators, how do they use multi-layer intelligent network control to tie all the elements together and provides a centralized function of this network? It's really the, the trend, not only the trend, but it's the path that providers have to walk down uh, in order to stay competitive.
1: And I feel like throughout this conversation, you've, you've certainly illustrated why simplification needs to happen for operators as they, they manage their networks. So to kind of change my last question, which was a bit vague, and just asking why simplicity matters, I think you made the case. Of course, add anything if you would like to add. Um, if you think there's other elements here, but also, I guess maybe changing the question around a little bit. What's Sienna doing specifically to, to help them as as they work to to simplify management and optimization of their networks as, as things change?
0: Yeah. So um, we take uh, we take a. Uh, a an approach that allows our customers uh, to address their ever uh, ever changing application demands. So when we go in, we we and we talk to our customers. We talk about their present mode of operations, and then we talk about, hey, what's the future mode of operations you're you're trying to uh, achieve? And we actually evaluate um, their architecture because what we know uh, as they transform. Uh, into a uh, architecture that will address uh, the ever changing application demands that and traffic flows that they're uh, they're trying to address at the edge. Um, they need they need a toolkit. It's not a one size fits all problem, right? Different providers have, have, have implemented different solutions, uh, and so we've we've taken a, an adaptive IP approach to. Um, to bringing, uh, bringing our routing switching portfolio to market. Um, what does that mean in a nutshell? It's uh, it's automated, it's open, uh, and it's lean. It, it only has the protocols that you, you need to build modern networks, whether that be like say segment routing, EVPN, for instance. Um, and it gives the portfolio, the IP and the optical portfolio uh, give uh, a wide choice in coherent optics. And so it's really about feature and cost optimization per use case and the ability to reuse, um, you know, where you can, uh, what's currently there and the ability to intel- use intelligent uh, software control and visualization, um, multi-layer optimization to, to uh, you know, really implement software control visibility, um, as soon as you possibly can, and then implement, uh, the new technology, whether it be coherent, uh, aggregation routing with a coherent, uh, an IP router with advanced software features, uh, and a coherent plug that's optical, you know, the optical goodness and, uh, putting that all together. And I think, um, you know, we have several products in our portfolio, um, but, uh, if I had to list them, it would be um, our uh, routing and switching portfolio, which ha- has uh, adaptive IP functionality, our MCP adaptive IP apps, which is that con- multi-layer control visualization, which helps to move towards this intelligent control and autom- automation and a combined control plane. And then our intelligent photonic underlay, we're the leader in coherent optics, right? I mean, if you're gonna put a coherent plug in a router, uh, you. It, you would be um, hard-pressed not to come and talk to us, right? Because um, the implications of that operationally are massive. And I'm an IP person, and I can tell you that I was not thinking about the
1: implications of that uh, until I started working here. Gina, thank you so much for detailing some of the, the trends and challenges that operators are facing as you know traffic flow, like you said, and architecture continue to change. It's been really great speaking with you.
0: Yes, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me today.
1: Well, Technically is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com.